This is April 19th, and this is our online gathering today where we are going to worship Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all the amazing things that He has done. So I've said this before and I'll say it again. I am really looking forward to being with all of you here in this room. I miss eating with you. I miss shaking your hand. I miss giving you hugs. Um, preaching to this really wonderful camera that God's given me uh, is getting old. I long to look into your eyes 
as we worship together. I want to hear your voice singing. I want to see you lifting up your hands. I want to see the kids dancing again before the Lord. And I just, I, I long for this time to, to be restored back to us. But that's not where we're at right now. And God's grace is sufficient for each of us right now in this time. So today, let us look to the Lord for his strength. And tomorrow and every single day this week, let's look to God for his strength to continue on and to move forward in this very strange season of life that we are in. So in a few moments, um, we're going to uh, listen to what God has to say in his holy word, the scriptures. But I would like to take a few minutes first and just pray. I just want to pray. I'm going to uh, ask y'all to pray too. Let's have approximately 30 minutes, 30 seconds of silence. And as you watch this, I just want you to cry out to God. Cry out to God for whatever comes to you. And let's go to him in prayer together. So cry out to him right now. Father God, I lift up our souls to you. May our eyes look to you, O oh God. May we trust you this day and in all the days ahead. The weeks are strange. And there are many in our world that are suffering great loss. And there are many, including some of us in this moment, that are overwhelmed by the cares and the responsibilities of life. And we miss certain things that we had five and six and seven weeks ago. We miss certain things that are important to us, God, that have been a part of our life our entire life. There are many who are lonely. There are many who are struggling financially. There are many who are just scared. And I ask God that you may meet us. I pray that we may look to you. And that you may meet us and comfort us. God, we know that true joy and true peace only comes through Jesus. And so I pray that everyone listening would just become very acquainted with Jesus. And, and, and get to know him better and look to him. Father, as we open up your word today, I want you to speak to us. I want you to increase our faith. I want you to sanctify us and to make us more humble, but to strengthen us at the same time. I pray that there may be rejoicing and celebration today because Jesus Christ the Lord has been risen from the dead. 
we pray these things in his amazing and precious name. Amen. So Sunday last week uh, was what we call Resurrection Sunday or Easter. It is the day that Christians set aside to celebrate the truth and the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, really did rise from the dead. And we're going to take five or six weeks and dive deep into this truth. We're going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you missed the first part of it, just scroll down in, in the uh, uh, feed there and uh, take a look at it. But in last week's passage, we looked at verses 1 through 11. And Paul said that he took a gospel message. He took a message of good news to people and that they believed it. And that this message what had saved them and that it was saving them. And the content of this message was that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was buried, and three days after he was died, died and buried, he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, hundreds of people saw him. One time he appeared to a group of over 500 people. And he appeared to this group, he appeared to this, this person and that person. And for about seven weeks or so, he was on the earth, he was eating with people, he was fishing, he was doing this, he was doing that. He was appearing to all kinds of people. The scars from the nails and the spear, all those things were visible. And those who saw him, many of those, let me say it like this, many of those who saw him knew who he was. And they believed in him. But in that day and age, and in this day and age that we're currently in, there are many who don't believe that people rise from the dead. And there were many and there are many that don't believe that Jesus Christ did what was written in the passage that we covered last week. There are many who don't believe that he really did, was born that he really did live 33 years, that he really did die on a cross, and that he really was buried on a Friday evening, and then on Sunday he came from the dead. People don't believe this. And the Apostle Paul, in, in, as he talks about resurrection all throughout 1 Corinthians 15, speaks to this idea that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. I'd like to, at this point, I'd like to ask my dear friends Hunter and Jean Derby to read this week's passage for us. They are going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. Read for us, please. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that, he, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, 
and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Hallelujah. So last week and today and in the next few weeks, we're talking about Jesus and what happened after he died. And the Apostle Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians has a story. He's got something to say. As a Christian, I trust the scripture. I believe that it's true. If you're listening today and you're not sure about that, that's okay. I still want you to continue to watch. I want you to listen to what I have to say. I want you to wrestle with some of these ideas. And, uh, um, you know, contact us and reach out to us. We'd love to help you on your journey uh, as you explore uh, God and just ideas related to him and death in the afterlife. So what happened to Jesus after he died? What happens to us after we die? Well, as Christians, the, as I said a moment ago, the scripture tells us uh, what, what we believe in. We accept that and we have tons of reasons to accept that. But there's a lot of different views out there. There's a large percentage of the population of the world that believes in reincarnation. And they believe that if they, they have this hope that if you live your life well enough and good enough, that you will eventually reach something that they refer to as nirvana or something uh, where there will be an end to suffering. Some people believe that when you die, nothing happens. There's no nothing, there's no feeling, there's no emotion, there's no continuing of your soul and your spirit. They just disappear. Your body rots in the ground or is, re or is uh, cremated and becomes ashes. And absolutely nothing happens. Some people believe that you, after you die, you either have eternal pleasure or eternal torment based on how well you live your life. And, and that is really seen in the Islamic faith. It is all up to them to do a really good job, but they really have never have any sure hope while they're living of what's going to happen to them after they die. And then a lot of people just think, well, something, I'm going to continue on somehow. I'm just, you know, there'll be some consciousness. My spirit will go on. Some people believe in something called soul sleep, and that is that we, that, that we will There'll be a period of time. Uh, this is one of the thoughts that some Christians have. I, I don't think that, that this is true, but some Christians think that once they uh, die, their soul goes to sleep and there's no consciousness at all. But at some point in the future, maybe around when the time Jesus comes back to, uh, for a second uh, time to the earth, then everything will um, you, you know, get back going again. And some groups uh, of Christians believe in something called purgatory, and that is after you die, you go to a place, it's kind of like hell, you receive some type of torture, you receive some type of punishment for your imperfections or your sin or your mistakes or whatever it is that they want to call uh, those shortcomings. And eventually, you've done your time, eventually you've paid the price, eventually 
um, you don't have to suffer anymore. So then you can go to heaven and be with God. The Apostle Paul, and all that he teaches and all that the Bible teaches, rejects all of these ideas. Rejects all of these ideas. Now, as I share those different views, I know I raise a lot of questions. I want to tell you that I will not answer all of those questions today. I will not give you today a complete picture of all that I believe will happen in the future. But what I am going to do is that in the next four to five weeks, as we go through all 58 verses of 1 Corinthians 15, we're, we're going to talk big picture about many things that are going to happen to us after we die. In one sense, what I'm covering today is, is pretty basic. We're only going to look at one little part of it, and, and we're going to look at what our lives would be like if this one little part of it wasn't true. And so Hunter and Jean have already read the passage to us. Let's take a little bit of time now and go through it. So it reads, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? As I said earlier, for people in that day, there were differing views on what happens after you die. Same is true today. So for the Jewish people, they had always expected that there would be a resurrection from the dead. You can see this in Daniel 12. Uh, if you read through Job's life and his sufferings, he was crying out to God one time and he says, God, I know there will be a day coming where I will see you in the flesh. And we know that in John chapter 11, uh, a lady named Martha lost her brother Lazarus and Jesus told Martha, he's going to come back from the dead. And she said, well, of course, in that day, at the last day, at the resurrection. And uh, little did she know at the time that Jesus was about to do it that same day and just give a little foretaste of, of all that would happen in the future. There, were also, there was also a group, they were Jewish, but they had been influenced by Greek thought and Greek philosophy, and they were called the Sadducees, and they were um, a, a very powerful religious and political group that uh, was part of the group that had Jesus nailed to the cross some years prior to this. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul uh, kind of debating and discussing some of these same ideas with Greek philosophers in Athens. They thought, and, and, and this is still, people think this way today, they thought that all matter was evil and that the only true good was purely spirit. And because of that, they denied any ongoing physical anything they denied uh, that, that the body would rise from the dead and they denied they said there's no way that God could actually enter into creation and become a man as Christians were pro proclaiming that these thoughts eventually uh, became a, 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 uh, a teaching called uh, Gnosticism it's a false teaching, it's a false philosophy, and it's affected many Christians. I know that years ago I realized that some of my thinking about God was in creation was wrong, and I had been affected by Gnosticism. It's common for Christians and for everyone to be affected by this today. But the truth is that God can 
make the physical creation good and God actually has entered into his creation and he has become human just like you and I are. So in verse 12, he says, if Jesus is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And what he does for the majority of the passage ahead of us, and we're going to go through this pretty quickly, I think, is he wants to go down that road. What happens to us if it is true that no dead person has ever rose from the dead? And so we get to verses 13 and 14, and he says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, da-da-da-da-da. He's just saying, if it's impossible for anyone to be resurrected from the dead, then Jesus never, ever came back to life. And what he's about to show us is that if Jesus never, ever came back to life, then he and everyone who calls themselves a Christian is going to have to rethink everything and is going to have to realize that so many of the things that they built their life on are false, that they're not true. So he goes on to say in verse 14, he says, If Jesus hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. This gospel message that we covered in, in such depth last week that message, all, all this effort that we're putting into this is in vain. He goes on to say that your faith is in vain. <laughs> Christians believe that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and he rose again. So if there is no resurrection of the dead, then those super duper important things that you believe are in vain. And then in verse 15, he goes on to say, we are even found to be mis misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So we're just telling everybody lies. <laughs> See, for Paul and them in that day, it wasn't only the preacher's job to tell people about Jesus. The majority of Christians actually participated in that activity. So how we do church today, where most people think it's the preacher's job to, to deliver the, the message of the gospel and to be familiar with the Bible and to be radical and all those things, that was a foreign thought to them. The people shared the ministry. The people shared the gospel at work and in their communities. It wasn't just the paid professionals job. And so what he's saying is that all of us are found to be misrepresenting God. If we say that God raised Jesus from the dead, whom he did not raise, if the dead is not raised, then we are telling one of the worst lies that we could possibly tell. We are telling a lie about God, and we will mislead people about one of the most important things out there. We get to verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17 is almost identical to verses 13 and 14. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> so 16 is just like 13, and the beginning of 17 is just like the beginning of 14. And he goes on in verse 17 to say that if Jesus hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. And if Jesus hasn't been raised, then you're still in your sin. Because Jesus says, Christians understand 
that because Jesus died and he rose from the dead, he conquered the power of sin. And because he died, and because he rose from the dead, he can set us free from our sin. Let me ask you, are you struggling with sin? Do you want change in your life? I tell you that Jesus has died, he has risen from the dead, and he can set you free from the sin in your life. He can set you free from the addiction. He can set you free from all the bad habits and the lying and all the regrets and all the sin in your life. Jesus can transform you because he rose from the dead. But if he did not rise from the dead, then you're stuck just the way you are and you have no hope. But I want to tell you personally, I know Jesus had risen from the dead. Not just because of the historical account of the Bible and so many other reasons outside of myself and outside of this book. But I know that he rose from the dead because he has changed me. And, and a couple dozen people who sit here every single Sunday when we meet, they can say that he rose from the dead because he has delivered us from our sin. Do you want to be transformed? I ask you to put your faith in Jesus. I ask you to trust him. He did rise from the dead, and because of that, we don't have to be in our sin. But here Paul is saying that if there is no resurrection from the dead, and then Jesus didn't, then you're still stuck in your sin. His logic, his reasoning for saying this is flawless. We get to verse 18. Then those who also, or then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. All your Christian friends, your loved ones who have died, they've perished. They're not with God. They have no hope if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And then verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That word pitied in the original language is miserable. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then we are miserable folks because we are basing our entire life on a really big lie. And so we get to verse 20. Last verse today, today. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's been exploring the idea of what would it be like if Christ wasn't raised from the dead. But he proclaims the truth here. He says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He sets the record straight. He's no longer entertaining those ideas of, of how our life would be if there was no resurrection of the dead and if Jesus had not risen from the dead. So this is news. This is historical fact that there's tons of eyewitness testimony to. There are many that are denying this news. And Paul is trying to push the people who are reading this that either he rose from the dead or he did not. And he's, he's saying that he did. This gospel is news. It's not advice. It is not self-help. It is not a law or a list of commands, although God does have a law. The gospel is something that is different. It is news about a man named Jesus. It is news about his life and his death 
in his resurrection. And when you research this, it cannot be denied. There was an empty tomb. Jesus' followers were, were, were so upset when Jesus had died. But, but they, some of them found the empty tomb. And then later that day, and, and over the next few weeks, Jesus appeared to them. And they had been devastated when he had died. But they changed and become a radically different group of people that had changed the entire Roman Empire. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about all that they did. There's no way that they could have became those people if Jesus had not risen from the dead. As I look at this bold assertion in verse 20 that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, I consider uh, what the, I shared this last week, a Harvard law professor from many decades ago. He, he, um, he was one of the greatest and most brilliant legal minds in all of history, but he, his name was Simon Greenleaf, and he wrote a, a volume that examined the legal value and the credibility of the apostles' testimony and witness to the resurrection of Christ. And what he concluded was that the resurrection of Jesus is one of the best supported events in her history according to the laws of legal evidence administered in courts of justice. I've even heard it said that there is more historical evidence that Jesus lived, died, and rose again than there is evidence that George Washington was the first president of our nation. Jesus did rise from the dead. And in the second part of verse 20, uh, Paul begins to shift directions, which really gives us a glimpse of what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. Last week, we talked about what had happened in the past and and how that was affecting us now. And so far this week, we've been thinking through the past and how it relates to the present. But at the end of, after this bold declaration of what happened in the past at the beginning of verse 20, that Jesus did actually rise from the dead, he, there's a hinge. And he says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. People in the Bible knew what that meant. They knew that that's the first part of whatever you harvest or whatever you receive. You always give that back to God. And it proclaims that everything that we have actually belongs to God. But here, when Paul uses this idea of first fruits, what he is saying is that this is the first like, picture, glimpse of all that is going to happen in the future. Because he says... All those who have fallen asleep, okay, that, that's a, he's talking about death. It's common in the Bible and in ancient uh, history for people to pop, talk about dead folks as people who are sleeping. We don't talk like that today, but this is what he means. He's saying that Jesus's resurrection from the dead is the first fruits of what is going to take place for all who have fallen asleep. That is powerful. That is very powerful. In John 5, 28 and 29, he says, do not marvel, this is Jesus speaking when he was alive, he says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, that's Jesus's voice, or God's voice, and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus 
did rise from the dead, you and I will rise from the dead also. There's a will be a resurrection to life and a resurrection to judgment. I want you to look forward to your resurrection. You can know that you belong to God. You can know that you are forgiven of your sin and that you are ready to die and to be in the presence of God forever and at some point in the future receive back a new and resurrected body. You can know that. And the reason that you can know that is because of this gospel, this sure and steady word that I was speaking of earlier, that Jesus lived, died, he was buried, and he rose again. And because he rose again, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. In, instead of being stuck in your sin like we all would be if he didn't rise from the dead, you can be delivered from your sin. You can be delivered from the power and the penalty of your sin, as question 24 of the Catechism uh, tells us. Uh, you can uh, know for sure that our preaching and our message is not in Vain. You can know that your faith is not futile. You can know that those who have fallen asleep in Christ are with God forever. And we can know that our hope is not only in this life, but it is also in the life to come. We are not people that are to be pitied. We are not people that are miserable, as verse 19 says we would, would be if there was no resurrection of the dead and Christ did not rise from the dead. No, we are not. If, if you Build your life on this solid news, this solid gospel, this solid fact that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and he rose from the dead. Then you are not building your life upon a lie. You are not to be pitied, and you are not miserable. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I want everyone watching to know that you belong to God. I want you to look forward to your resurrection. In the weeks ahead, we're going to learn more about Jesus's return. We're going to learn more about how he conquers death, how he conquers the devil, how he conquers sin. We're going to learn more about the new bodies that we're going to get. We're not going to get them immediately when we die, but we're going to get them at some point beyond that when God returns. We're going to learn about the victory. I want that victory to be yours, and it can be Yours. I want you to call upon Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord. Make him your Savior and your Lord. He is inviting you to come to him. And he loves you enough to receive you just as you are. And he loves you enough not to let you stay that way. He is going to make you like himself as you walk with him. He wants to wipe away all your sin and make all things new. If you haven't called on him before, I want you to call on him and then I want you to contact us here at this church and let us know about how Jesus has changed your life and we will help you love him better and we will help you figure him out uh, and, and listen to the Bible and you can eat with us we want you to be a part of our lives in addition to following Jesus. So would you come to Jesus and would you let us know what you decided to do? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you.
that we are not to be pitied. I thank you that we are not still in our sin. I thank you that our faith is not in vain. And I thank you that the gospel is a message that is for everyone. It's for religious people. It's for non-religious people. It's for the poor and the rich and black and white and male and female and child and, and young adult and middle-aged and elderly. It's for everyone. And God, we praise you and we thank you for that. Would you transform us as we meditate on the gospel and all the implications of it? Amen. Church, guests, let's sing and let's worship the Lord. I was buried beneath my shame. could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried it was my turn Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day You called my
And now, for all of God's people, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.